Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I will have to figure this out for myself. And either if I hurt myself, I don't hurt myself. It's up to me to really figure out because I'm at, I feel like I'm at the age where I just, I want to explore things, you know, just check out how far I can really go, you know. This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. Miguel Yapa is 18 and just finished his senior year at Frank Sinatra School of the Arts, a public high school in Queens, New York. But Miguel was not in that building much in the last year because of the pandemic. He spent most of his time in his bedroom in Harlem, where I reached him over Zoom. Behind me, I have my drum set and my snare drum, along with my practice pad, and then some timbales over to my left with my uh, dirty clothes. (laughs) And oh, and then my marimba is downstairs. Miguel is a percussionist, and the marimba is his favorite. This is him playing at a recent recital. He says he loves the warm sound. The marimba is a a six-and-a-half-foot-wide instrument, kind of like a giant xylophone with resonator pipes underneath that he plays with four mallets. Physically speaking, I'm pretty small. Um, But when when I'm on a set, when I'm on an instrument, it doesn't really feel that way. I feel grander. I, just, I, feel, I feel more myself when I'm playing it. I don't feel like the little guy anymore. It lets you fill up a lot of space. Yeah, and I can take up a lot of space. Miguel was born with a set of health issues that affect his lung capacity and ability to breathe. I was born with what we call congenital scoliosis. It's just being born with um, an abnormality in the spine. So I was born with with multiple curvatures, as well as missing eight ribs on my right side, Um, as well as a pectus excavatum, which is a pit in the chest. So I was born with 52% lung capacity. So I've never known how it it feels to have 100%. Now I'm at 25%. Do you feel like your is your condition something that's visible to someone who's meeting you? No, it's not visible. I just look like a really short Hispanic kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I hear all the short jokes, you know. I especially being in a Latin family, yeah, you're gonna hear it. So yeah, it, it's not visible to the naked eye. Are there are there movements that are more difficult for you than others? Um, uh, I guess so. Like, it's hard for me to bend over at times. I can't fully bend over mm-hmm. because of, like, my spine is so <laughs> rigid. At school, I have what we call a paraprofessional, mm-hmm. like a personal aide to help me out with my books and stuff because I can't carry such heavy loads. She helps me out and do that. Uh, I love my para. She's amazing. Shout out to her because she she's helped me through a lot too. I just never liked feeling dependent. It's more like I wanted to prove to myself 
I can do it. I know I need it. The fact that I know I need it hurts. I, I don't like the fact that I, I need it because of the way I am. Miguel has always felt this tension between accepting the help he needs and craving independence. But it has ratcheted up as he thinks about leaving for school at Ithaca College in New York, several hours away from home. He says he's ready for more space from his family, his two little brothers, who are 3 and 11, his dad, who works two jobs as a super in apartment buildings, and his mom, who's managed his care his entire life. I, I love my family, you know. I love their support through everything. But I reached in like a point in my life where I'm like, I really kind of just want to test the waters on my own without having any like influences around me, I guess, and how to how to do that on my own. My dad's very very like that. He's he's always he's always let me test the water first. You know, and then when I go ask for help, he's always there. How did you come to appreciate that? Like, have there been instances where you felt like people weren't letting you do that? Well, to be honest, I started appreciating it more recently. Um, because as I got older, uh, I I started to, to feel like more dependent when I wanted to be more independent. Because I have what I have with um, my condition and everything, I just felt like, because I was I was always in and out of the hospital, you know, I, I always had someone with me. I always had someone accompanying me, which I, I love. I appreciate it. My mom was with me through thick and thin. She was there every appointment, every surgery. Um, and I, I can never thank her enough for that. Um, but I, I, after some time, you know, I, I started to grow. I started to to feel like I wanted to test things out on my own because I, I always felt someone was was with me. Are there birds in the background? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Those are That's okay. those are my brother's birds. They're so loud. What kind of birds? Uh they're parakeets. I feel like I want to hang out in your house, Miguel. There's a lot going on. A marimba in the living room, parakeets. <laughs> there, there's a, yeah, there's always a lot going on. Oh, which is why I'm really eager to go to college. I'm curious, Miguel, do you have a sense, um, do you think your parents are ready for you to go away to school? My dad, yes. My mom, I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm not so sure. Because she's been with me through everything, she's seen me at my worst. But she, she's more, she, she worries for me, you know. That's just because... She loves me. I guess my my worry is pushing himself to the point that he would hurt himself, like in, in trying to figure things out. Um, and then me not being close by in case that does happen, how do I help him through? This is Raquel Sapeda-Yapa, Miguel's mom. Doctors told her when Miguel was born that he probably would not live past age two. She remembers a particularly hard year when Miguel was 10 in fourth grade. I said, something's not right with him. He's, he's you know, struggling academically. He's struggling to keep up both physically. He's complaining of his shortness of breath. Um, 
And that was the first time that a surgeon kind of put something in, in front of me. He put like all his x-rays in front of me. And I saw the progression of how bad his, his spine got um, and how much it was impacting his lungs. And for me, that was just so overwhelming because I never knew all of this was happening throughout the years. And I guess that kind of really, yeah, yeah it really, it really, I was really devastated because how did I not know this? You know, I was trying to do all the right things. I thought I understood. And even at that time, I remember in fourth grade, he said, it was one night that he said, he goes, I'm tired, but you're so brave. You, you know, you, you just have to, you know, keep going. He goes, no, mom, I'm really tired. I'm tired of being brave. I'm tired. I just want the angels to take me because I'm just, I can't do this anymore. That was really tough, and I don't want to be, I don't want to get to that place. I, I totally forgot about that until she said it. Do you remember it since she said it? It was, it was an afternoon. You're in your bed? Mm. No, in my, no, in you're my in bed. bed. You're in my bed. I went to cry in your room. And I was trying to keep it together, but as soon as I left and I closed the door, ugh. Coming up, Miguel explains why he's ready to advocate for himself and take care of his body, while admitting it doesn't always come that easily for him. Do you delay asking for help sometimes when you need help? Yes, de definitely. Um, I tend to keep a lot of that to myself because I don't like to. I guess internally I feel vulnerable when I do. And I don't really like feeling that way. No, no one does, right? Because I, I feel like I have been a lot of my life, and I don't want to be anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. I think that's my little brother right now. Oh, the three-year-old? I think so. Give me one minute. <laughs> sure. <laughs> If you listened to our Game Changer series last fall about how the pandemic was affecting the lives and livelihoods of athletes, you heard my conversation with BMX freestyle writer Chelsea Wolf. I have some exciting news to share. Chelsea recently found out that she is headed to the Olympics. I've qualified to represent the United States as the alternate rider, Chelsea wrote on Instagram. Chelsea is making history because she's the first ever openly trans athlete to go to the Olympics with Team USA. We talked about what that would mean to her and to other trans athletes in our conversation last year. It would have helped me a lot if I could have seen somebody doing what I'm doing now to show me that like, I can be a trans woman and an athlete. I can ride BMX freestyle and be trans. The two don't have to be mutually exclusive and I don't have to feel ashamed for who I am or like I won't have a place in this world. If you missed our Game Changer series last September, which also featured a professional baseball player considering quitting the game and an NFL player with asthma who still decided to play despite the COVID risk, we have linked to that series in our show notes. And we're taking the week off next week, so I want to pass along another listening recommendation for the podcast Aria Code. Our colleagues at New York Public Radio's classical music station make it. And even if you aren't an opera fan or even a classical music person, it is worth listening to because the stories they tell are so interesting. Stick around at the end of this episode to hear a little bit of one of the most recent Aria Code episodes, which ties together a Stravinsky aria and the story of Johnny Cash's first marriage.
This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Miguel Yapa has had more than 25 surgeries in his life. They started when he was just a baby and continued through middle school. And that's meant missing a lot of classroom time over the years. But he hasn't needed a surgery since he was 14. I could actually feel like a normal kid for once. Because it's always interfered with my school. I never had a full year of school until... Recently, you know, these past two, three years, whatever, it it definitely did take a huge um, weight off my back. And what do you mean by that? Because I thought I would be, I'd be waiting for my next surgery at my next appointment. You know, all of that plays into my head. I've been so, I'm just so done with all of it. I mean... I wasn't supposed to live until two, um, and I, and I'm 18, you know. So all of this stuff, I, I didn't expect to have. Um, when I started playing percussion, I didn't really have like a group of friends to really like talk about music with. Now I'm able to rant to friends, and we can just talk days about music. I can, you know, I have that group of people, you know. In a community that is open, open to, to me, who I am, how I am, um, and very accepting of what I've become. What do you rant about with your friends? Oh, <laughs> um, we could literally, we're, we would be like arguing about each other's playlists. Like, no, your playlist is trash. Oh, oh no, this song is better. Wait, um, oh, did you hear the sound in this song? Like, all the, the like, geeky music stuff. He shared some of his playlists with me, and I can confirm they are not trash. One song he particularly likes is this one, It Runs Through Me by Tom Mish with De La Soul. I love the way it flows, I love the way it goes. There's something in this sound that takes me far. It's like a cool bossa nova groove that starts very low key with it. Nice, kind of like passage, a nice voyage. See it by yourself. It's pretty cool. She told me at the baseline and everything will be all right. She told me that the groove is mine. When you picture what it's going to be like to be a college student and what might be different socially, like are there are there things that you picture that you're like that will be interesting and different and new? Like Yeah. What what are they? Like like Ithaca's a very um it's got like a lot of cool nature stuff. So I'm excited for that, like meeting new friends, being able to go on like cool, cool hikes or whatever, meeting new people. I'm excited to get into the studios. Like I'm actually really, really, really excited for that. I heard Ithaca had a cool party scene, so that might be interesting. Um, yeah, I'm trying to um, maybe keep it alive for now. Party scene, like I'm picturing like red plastic cups and like a keg. Is that what you're picturing? <laughs> Maybe. I get maybe it's like the movies. I I don't know. I, but I'm excited to find out, you know. I got teased for that the other day. <laughs> really? When we went to Ithaca, like that here I am, I'm I'm you know, I'm being asked, you know, how do you feel about him going to college? And did you get you know, especially now that you haven't gone to see it? I was like, Oh no, we we went to see it. I wanted him to feel what it was like. I heard that it was on the hill and I just I needed to know that he was gonna physically feel okay to kind of 
just move around. I, I just don't know what to expect. And so this couple kind of started laughing. They looked at each other, started laughing so hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were like, you worry about the hill? <laughs> Are you really worried about the hill? How about all the conversations that you're going to have to have with him about the party, if there's a drinking, if there's a this? And I'm like, <laughs> you've been thinking about the hill. It hasn't occurred to you all the other trouble he might get in. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I was, oh trying, my I was trying to avoid that. Just now. <laughs> so, um, I'm like, please, I don't, I can't handle it anymore right now. And he's like, well, it's coming whether you like it already or not. When you notice yourself worrying about him and wondering if he's pushing himself beyond what is. Um, what you would prefer he do physically, where do you put that worry? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. okay. It's hard. It's hard to, I mean, I, I try to stay strong and not show him, but yeah, I mean, at least here I can, I can see him. I know without him telling me, I can see. And I can kind of help in my own indirect way, I guess. Um, but just especially this year, I guess it's even harder because our relationship has kind of changed this year. You know, I used to hear like parents kind of, you know, oh, they're going through their teens and you know, it's it's to be expected that, you know, a little rebellious side of them. And I never really had that with him. I almost was like, you know, okay, I, you know, I, I guess I felt a little lucky or fortunate that, you know, we had not hit that, that point, I guess. Until and, now. And we've always been open. And, you know, even when we've had our disagreements, we talk it out. And But there was that communication. I'm sorry. But... I guess this year, um, I don't know. I, I feel like he's he wants to protect me. You know, it's just not a good cycle. You know, you know. I, after some time, yeah, I personally feel like I, I do need some time away for myself. You know? And what I heard you saying, Raquel, was even when Miguel like doesn't want you to be protective, you. When he's in your house, you can still monitor how he's doing, and you don't need to just trust what he is willing to tell you. Is that like he, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to? She can see say. it first. I can see it. Like even if, I mean, even a meal. Like he doesn't like for me to put it out there. But even just a meal, he can just be frustrated with just not being able to to finish a meal, being hungry, not feeling short of breath, and in pain needing to have a pillow underneath his arm because he's in pain. He doesn't have to tell me that. But I can see it, and I can kind of tell, like, all right, he needs his face, his moment. Um, and I guess that's my dilemma. It's like I got to learn to get back on my own feet in my own way without having, you know, maybe mom to be around to help me out. Like, I don't want you to feel – I don't want you to feel like you have to do this on – no, like, I want to do it. On I mean, I w- yes, you do it on your own. But this is going to be the first time. If I've I've had to fight with your doctors, your surgeons to get you the proper care that you need. Sometimes I've had to 
kind of remind you, like, did you forget this, what this was like, or, you know? And sometimes I'm, like, kind of fed up with that, too. I'm like, huh, like, come on. I don't, yeah, I don't want to hear it. Sometimes I have to, as a stubborn teenager that I am, but I just, I really don't want to. When you get to school, will you have any kind of assistance, like an aide who helps you with any tasks? No, no. You'll be all on your own? Yeah. I'm trying to steer as much away from that as possible, actually. You don't want any assistance? Me, personally, I don't. I I, I think you can see mom kind of like holding back (laughs) a little bit. Um, I mean, I I know, and that's one of the things, like, in high school, he was kind of like, you know, I don't think he really ever, like, voiced it as, I don't want a, I don't want a para with me. He was kind of just like, all right, you know, okay, kind of, it is, yeah, going along with it. Um, Maybe not feeling too crazy about the experience of trying to be more social and have friends and then have someone to kind of, you know follow you around I just kind of felt like having a second mom follow me in school and I didn't like that no no no, I don't mean to say that to be I'm saying like in college it's a different it's a different ball game I don't want another mom to be helping me out with the ball game I want to not just focus on the conflict that you all have had over the last year. I, I wonder, Raquel, like when you when you think about Miguel finishing high school and where he is at this point in life, like what have you been thinking about as far as this milestone that he is achieving? Oh my goodness! I mean, I'm 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 really proud of him. I mean, he's um. Oh gosh. And maybe through some of this bickering, I don't tell you enough, but I am really proud of you for everything that you accomplished, all your goals that you have set forth for you. I want to see those things happen for you. One of the things that I loved hearing Miguel explain to me was about what it feels like when he's playing the marimba, like this big instrument. Um, I wonder, Raquel, what's it like for you when you watch him play music? She's always hearing me do, um, practicing and my mess ups. So, <laughs> like, she she usually tends to hear all my all my drills and routines. So it's not necessarily music; it's just like noise. <laughs> oh, that's now. But when I didn't even know. I mean, he had mentioned the marimba to me when he he was in high school. That there was a teacher. Um, that was teaching him this and it wasn't until you had like your the audition the um oh yeah the, I was outside the room in tears because <laughs> it was just so move it was so beautiful to hear him and just to see him just play do you know what you played what was it uh I played what was it it was called rain dance by Alice Gomez it's like one of the first four mallet solos you learn remember I was like, wow. Um, Yeah, I was really, really touched. It was really beautiful to hear you.
That's Raquel Sapeta Yapa and her son, Miguel Yapa. And again, this song is Rain Dance by Alice Gomez, performed here by Garrett Arney. Before Miguel goes to college in the fall, he is heading to a summer music camp at the renowned Interlochen Center for the Arts in Michigan. It'll be one of the only times that he's been on a plane for something that is not a doctor's appointment. And he'll be going alone. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Yasmin Khan. The rest of our team includes Katie Bishop, Afi Yellow Duke, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Our interns are Marty Harding and Christy Song. Thanks to Jacqueline Oaken Barney for her help on this episode. The Reverend John Delure and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram at Anna Sale Picks, that's P-I-C-S, and the show is at Death Sex Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Therese Okraku in Seattle, Washington, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Therese and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. Really, if this show and community have been helpful to you, please do become a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money as we end our fiscal year at the end of June. You can do that at deathsexmoney.org slash donate or by texting DSM to 70101. It's interesting to me that you have some instruments that you can play in private, and then the one that you most like to play, you have to play where people can, in your family can watch you. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Because I have a three-year-old, like, pulling on my shirt, Miguel, Miguel, mm-hmm. come play with me. Or in the middle of practice, she's like, Miguel, are you practicing? <laughs> he'll, he'll tell me that. He does a lot of that stuff. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. And now I want to share an excerpt from the podcast Aria Code with you. Aria Code is made by our colleagues at New York Public Radio's classical music station, WQXR, and it's hosted by the incredible musician Rhiannon Giddens. Here's the thing about this podcast and opera in general. It is full of death, sex, and money. The excerpt we're about to share with you is from their deep dive on the aria, No Word from Tom, from the opera The Rake's Progress by Igor Stravinsky. The opera tells the story of Tom Rakewell, a young man who unexpectedly inherits a lot of money and goes off to London to claim it, abandoning the woman who loves him and true love. And in this episode, we hear how a similar story played out in the real-life marriage of Johnny Cash and his first wife, Vivian Liberto. Here, you'll hear from Michael Bragg at the San Francisco Opera, musician-curator Joe Tenworth, soprano Don Upshaw, and Johnny Cash and Vivian Liberto's youngest daughter, Tara Cash. My father went to, um, he was touring in Mexico, and he somehow got a hold of a lot of pills. And he came back and flew into El Paso with a guitar case filled with amphetamines and barbiturates. And they were on to him. They knew he was coming through with drugs and they arrested him, took him to jail. And that was a very, very devastating time for my mother. 
this devout Catholic. She ended up going to El Paso and going to court with them. And uh, she didn't really understand addiction. It was just uh, incredibly painful to her. It was a dark time. Scene four is called The Arrest. And you have Tom on the left-hand side coming out of a sedan chair. And um, what he's actually doing is hiding from the bailiffs. He's in debt. His fine clothes mean nothing anymore. He's run through all that money already. He's about to be taken away and put into prison. And up comes Sarah Young and True Love. She's become a milliner. She's working to support their child. And you can tell this from the box of ribbons that's falling to the ground as she thrusts herself forward, offering Tom her purse, probably her life savings, so that he's not arrested for debt. She's almost presented as an angel of mercy, coming to relieve him from the complete pickle he's got himself into. However, as we'll see later in the series, he doesn't take the opportunity to be with her and to reform his life. So after we get this beautiful sort of aria, we get a high note. She sings this beautiful high B. When the soprano sings the high note, or the tenor sings the high note, or any opera singer sings a high note, it's like, okay, we're at the end of this, right? But he does, he tricks us, and there's a hold. There's a hold in the music. Then it continues unaccompanied. A colder moon upon a colder heart, and then the orchestra comes in. And so at that moment, we understand that there's going to be more. She's not done saying what she needs to say. At some point, the Carter family, the first family of country music, started working with my dad on his show. It was Mother Maybelle Carter and her three daughters, Helen, Anita, and June. And my father, you know, listened to them as a little boy, you know, when they had a radio in the house that they uh, had to conserve the batteries at night. He was allowed to listen for an hour a night. And here was June Carter, and she was uh, young and, and fun and feisty and funny. And my mother was at home with the children and sad and missing him. And... I think it was just too much temptation. So it was it was a heartbreaking time for my mother. She desperately wanted him back, desperately. And, you know, a lot of times it, it, it he didn't come home. His heart was was leaving and hers was breaking. And then we hear a voice, and it's her father. Anne, Anne, he's calling for her. 
she suddenly sort of, I feel, brought back to reality a little bit. And we get, my father, can I desert him? And his devotion for a love who has deserted me. And it's that moment she realizes that she needs to leave and go to Tom. She says, no, my father has strength of purpose. So she already knows that her father doesn't need her help. While Tom is weak and needs the comfort of a helping hand, her hand. And so she beautifully says so innocently and so sincerely, I understand the man that I love and he needs my help. That is the podcast Aria Code from their episode Stravinsky's The Rake's Progress. Go listen to the rest of this excellent episode and the rest of season three of Aria Code wherever you get your podcasts.